cannabis topics in less than 10 minutes. Let's go. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of The Dime. I'm Brian Fields, and with me, as always, is Kellen Finney. And this week, we got a very special guest, Shane Pennington, partner at Portner Wright. Shane, thanks for taking time. How are you doing today? Doing great. Really happy to be here. So where are we today, January 11th, currently? And then let's kind of go from there. Sure. So we have we have HHS's scheduling recommendation uh, has been sent to DEA. That's a big part of this because HHS's views are binding on DEA for scientific and medical stuff, which is a lot of this. And so it kind of cabins like DEA's discretion to a good degree. Now the process involves, you know, DEA's got to look at that. They've got to put a proposed rule in the federal register. That's the next step. That's what we're waiting on. Then there will be a 60 day public comment period. People can ask for hearings before an administrative law judge as well. And those hearings are on the record. So you could like put on witnesses, you could cross-examine, you can put on uh, evidence, you can, you know, brief it. It's a full, like kind of like a full-blown trial on the proposed rule. And the ALJ, the administrative law judge, will look at all of that, resolve the objections, make findings of fact and conclusions of law. Then DEA has to look at all the comments, all the ALJ stuff after it's all been submitted and completed, and then it will issue a final rule. The administrator will issue a final rule that will appear in the federal register. It will have to be, its effective date will have to be 30 days after it appears in the federal register. Um, that's just sort of how it is, unless DEA finds good cause, but you know there are exceptions, but generally it has to be a 30-day delay. And during that 30 days, another important thing happens, that's a period that anybody can seek judicial review in a federal appellate court. And so I suspect that whichever way this goes, it's sort of a Goldilocks situation. There will very likely be, you know, people saying the porridge is too hot or the porridge is too cold, regardless of which way it comes out, how it comes out. And we're likely to see litigation. And that's important because under certain circumstances, well, it's important because the court could change the decision, right? So you're not done once you're done is the problem. But then beyond that, I think for many people who are interested in 280E relief and sort of getting this like actually getting the benefits of rescheduling um, as soon as possible, a court, when litigation is filed, can, under certain circumstances, stay the effective date even longer of a final rule, right? So it's not automatic, but they can under certain circumstances. And so that will probably be a fight at the beginning of the lawsuit. And for those of you who are interested in, you know, seeing cash flow, for example, you're going to have to hope that you win that battle of, you know, not staying the effective date of the final rule. And then you have to hope that you win the litigation too, so that you can preserve the win. So there's a long, there's a long way to go. And we can talk timelines and all, but I'll just say right now, this process normally takes a very long time, but this is an unprecedented situation. And HHS did its part really quickly. And so there's good reason to hope that it will be way faster than normal. Even that, you know, that said, you heard how complicated this is. Like I just explained it. The average time for this process to take historically has been 9.2 years. So we got a long way to go. And even if we move at, you know, bullet train speed, you know, those who are predicting that it'll be done by the, the you know, in time for uh, the election. I mean, I, I hope so. Um, but that would be, in my experience, and my knowledge of the process and the history, that would be extremely fast, like kind of unfathomably fast. And I mean, one thing to think about is like, we don't have the proposed rule yet. So if we get to February 1st and we don't have a proposed rule and we get to March 1st, 
like at some point it becomes like impossible for an agency with a small staff to get it done that fast. So how do we get around the medical use aspect? So lawmakers are citing from NIDA that there's not enough research demonstrating the medical purposes of cannabis. But the director of NIDA then said that having it schedule one prohibits the ability to do the type of research. So how do we get past that cat and mouse game? Yeah, so HHS has already said that cannabis does have a currently accepted medical use and treatment in the United States, if you believe that they recommended Schedule 3, which I do, right? So NIDA can say whatever it wants, but are they really going to disagree with HHS? They're part of HHS. HHS is, Secretary Becerra is above, you know, way above them, okay? And even if that weren't so, and all due respect to Dr. Volkow, who actually has said some really progressive things, and I'm not trying to criticize her or say that I know more than she does about the science. Okay, I don't. I'm not a scientist. That said, HHS by statute is the, the authority on scientific and medical questions for the federal government. More importantly, in the United States, we have a thing called federalism, and it says that the medical profession and what is and isn't legitimate medical use is a state-determined matter. And by the way, that's very likely what HHS based its decision on. So whatever Dr. Volkow or anybody else might think about what the evidence says, the states have spoken and doctors across the country are recommending this stuff in treatment to patients. It is either the case that those doctors are committing malpractice or worse, they're drug pushers, right, who are viol- who should be in jail, right? And those patients are either drug addicts who, you know, or... Or it's the case that HHS is right and it actually is medical and that's already been determined. So that's, you know, a big part of this. Now, on Dr. Volkow's point about research, this is super duper important. A lot of people believe that if things move to schedule three or five or whatever, that there will be research benefits, right? And I got into this whole game because of research and helping Dr. Sue Sisley and Scottsdale Research Institute help veterans. That's how I got into all this. All right. So I care about research more than any other, I think. I can't say that, but a lot, a lot, okay? Unfortunately, the research provisions, which were recently amended, okay, through the uh, Medical Marijuana and Cannabidiol Research Expansion Act in, what was it, late 2022, and everybody celebrated this. Oh, yay, we passed a law, cannabis law, it's going to (laughs) help research. And the whole time, if you're a subscriber to On Drugs, you know, the Substack that Matt Zorn and I write, you will, you go back and look the whole lead up. I was pounding my hand on the table and screaming from the mountaintops that it's actually going to make research harder to do for cannabis. Right. And when it was passed, guess who got on Twitter or X or whatever it is and said, took responsibility for having drafted and pushed that thing through none other than the greatest, most disgusting troll under the bridge of all Kevin Sabet, smart approaches to marijuana. Those are the people who wrote and, and promoted that bill. And so it's no surprise to someone who read it, like me, that it's actually not helpful at all. And you know what the biggest way it's not helpful? The biggest way it's not helpful is that it says it makes all the cannabis research restrictions dependent not on cannabis's scheduling, like every other substance, but on it being cannabis itself. So it says, here are the restrictions that apply to cannabis. It doesn't say if cannabis is in Schedule 1. It says cannabis. Shane, obviously, there's a bunch of things that need to happen in the next 30, 60, 90 days. If you could just lay out in in clearest, quick bullet points, if you were the man leading the charge, what were the steps that you would see just so that people could understand how critical from an organizational standpoint that these additional tests need to happen in order to proceed in hopes to be successful? 
We need to start by everyone needs to take some time to be mindful in the morning and do breath work. And, you know, like, I don't know, like, I'm working on it too. You got a good therapist, like, let me know. Okay, on rescheduling, on rescheduling, here's what needs to happen. We know that from even the redacted documents that we've gotten, that HHS is looking at studies that have mainly, they focused on the ones that have come out since 2016. We need experts, medical, scientific experts, you know, to help us. I'm trying, but I'm not a scientist. You know, I I avoided uh, subjects that had clear right or wrong answers all the way through school. Um, And so, but we need those people, the, the Science Bowl team, to help us identify those studies, make a big list of them, tell us what they say, what their bottom line is, right? The good ones and the bad ones. And we need to be prepared to marshal that evidence effectively when we get a proposed rule. That is like a big, big thing that needs to be done, okay? The second thing that we need to do as a community is we need to organize. So if you have access to those experts, if you have connections to the, to the, to the state authorities who might be able to have something to say about this, former regulators, current regulators who might be able to, might, you know, be willing to sign a comment or, you know, have one drafted and review it. And that's helped with all this. You need, we need to get those people lined up now. So um, if you have money, right, to dedicate, to get this work done, which will require lawyers and the doctors and scientists who I just talked to, you know, we'll try to get them to do it. Everybody's going to do as much as they can. But the bottom line is people can do a lot more faster when they're paid. Take me, for example. I'd love to do all of this for free, but I have a family and I have a firm that I work for, and they're not going to let me do it, you know, all of it. But if I were paid, yes. And that's not just me, that's everybody. So if you have that money, and I know not many people have it right now, but it's just super important that we get that that funding to the people who can actually do the work. That's incredibly important. If you're in a position with a business or an organization that has a stake in this, get in touch with someone who's writing comments and is getting prepared and say, I'd like to join. You know, I'd like to have an opportunity to join and sign on to that comment and be a part of this process, right? That's something that needs to happen. And I think the last thing is try, I think all of us right now should be trying to quell the debate And that means taking people's views seriously, but we need to just, these points that I'm making, I hope people will write them down and spread the gospel, right? And not in a way to have an endless debate, but to say, we can put that on pause right now to support Schedule 3. And I hope that our rhetoric on social media and so forth becomes a lot more unified around getting this done as opposed to fighting each other and getting in each other's way. So those are the main things and it needs to be done yesterday. And if you have any questions about any of this, maybe the first thing to do is to email me or, you know, any of the uh, many people out there. And, you know, I could give a big list if, if that would be helpful. You know, Jonathan Havens at Saul Ewing, Andrew Klein at Perkins Coie, uh, Howard Splamberg at Arnold and Porter, you know, me, Matt Zorn, uh, you know, I could keep going. And there's so many and I don't mean to leave anybody out. Just find a competent expert and, and reach out and ask your question. You know, I'm not going to charge you for that. I'll, I want to plug you in. Right. So the, I guess those are my, my key list of to do's for everybody. Guys, if you've enjoyed this podcast over the last few years, can you please take three minutes or less and leave us a quick review on Apple or Spotify? All reviews make a massive difference for us and help other people like you find this podcast from the bottom of our hearts. Thank you.
Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hi, my name's Kate, and I'm your host of the Pop Moms Podcast. I started the Pop Moms Podcast, well, because I wanted to end the stigma against using cannabis, specifically with moms, but also anyone who chooses to consume. I strive for a balance of humor and education, along with some pretty rad guests, to help combat social biases that come with consuming cannabis. Kids are hard. Join me for regular podcast episodes packed with parenting hacks, real-life stories, and of course, my favorite cannabis products. The days are long, but the years are short. So roll another J and take a deep breath. Keep blazing and stay amazing.